Listen to the words of Jesus as found in Matthew 21, 12, and 13. And Jesus entered the temple and cast out all those who were buying and selling in the temple and overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who were selling doves. And he said to them, It is written, My house shall be called a house of prayer, but you're making it a robber's den. This is the word of the Lord. Stephen Covey wrote a book um, several years ago, sold about 26 million copies called The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. Um, Seven habits that he focused on, be proactive, begin with the end in mind, put first things first, think win-win, seek first to understand, synergize and sharpen the soul. And he had several quotes that became famous. In fact, Stephen Covey just kind of became a, a multinational corporation in himself. There were Stephen Covey calendars and St- Stephen Covey software programs and etc. But one of the quotes that he had that I think is fantastic, and you find it on the front of your bulletin for this morning, is the main thing is to keep the main thing the main thing. I'll say that once again. The main thing is to keep the main thing the main thing. Peter Drucker was a uh, business guru, writer, and uh, he told a story about the railroads. He said the railroads lost most of their business because they forgot the main thing. They, They were thinking that the main thing was to be in the railroad business when it really was to be in the transportation business, and we all know how many railroads now are uh, covered with uh, spider webs and etc. He also gave the illustration of Sports Illustrated. He said they forgot the main thing. He said Sports Illustrated was thinking that the main thing was the sports magazine business, when actually it was sports information and ESPN came along and ate their lunch Big time. We all know that story. We've seen it. There's a mechanic who's out here, and he does a great job taking care of cars. He can fix almost any car. He can listen to your car, and he can tell you just quickly what the problem is just by listening. He's so good that his business grows, and pretty soon he hires a helper, and uh, both of them are working. The business continues to increase, so he hires another helper, Then somebody comes along and said, you know what, you need to own your own service station. So pretty soon this guy has got four or five employees. He's worrying about ordering gasoline, taking care of records. And then it's not that long. We read he's gone bankrupt. He owes $100,000 in back taxes and et cetera because he forgot what the main thing is. It happens all the time. We see corporations Huge corporations that buy other corporations, buy other corporations, and buy other corporations. Pretty soon they've got companies and corporations all over the world. And then all of a sudden you read in the Wall Street Journal, their belly up, what happened? They forgot the main thing. Thomas Jefferson had an idea. And he wrote about it, about a a new form of government and how it would have a small federal government and states' rights and etc. And then it grew and it grew and it 
Well, I don't want to go there. I get depressed when I think about it. <laughs> uh, but you get the point. We, we, the main thing is to keep the main thing the main thing. There's an Italian auction that took place that illustrates this. Let's take a look at it for just a moment. Seuraava kohde on Min dynastian aikainen vaasi. Lähtöhinta 500 000. Olkaa hyvä, tehkää tarjouksia. 600 000 siellä herran, 700 000 puhelimessa, 800 000 rouva, 900 000 puhelimessa, miljoona siellä herra. Tuleeko muita tarjouksia? Ei tule. Miljoona ensimmäinen, miljoona toinen, miljoona kolmas. <tos> He was so caught up in the auction, he forgot what the main thing was. And that's that expensive being vase that he was holding. It can happen to churches. It, it happened to the Jewish, in the Jewish temple, and it, and it just drove Jesus crazy. Uh, there are several accounts of Jesus going into the temple and saying that my house shall be called a house of prayer. There's one early in John. Uh, scholars have a fun time trying to figure out why did John put that in the second chapter because it's in the 21st chapter in Matthew. It's in the 11th chapter in Mark, basically the same story. And they've agreed that probably John wasn't quite as interested in chronology as he was in the theme. And so it fit really early in the writings there. Mark adds a phrase. It's an important phrase that's actually included in the words of Isaiah. Uh, he has Jesus going into the temple and saying, My house shall be called a house of prayer. And Matthew ends it right there. But Mark's, it gives the original quote from Isaiah, My house shall be called a house of prayer for all the peoples, uh, is included. But no matter which one of those you read, uh, you find the story is the same thing. That is, they had forgotten to keep the main thing the main thing. Let's look at the scene for just a second. Jesus had come into Jerusalem in the 21st chapter of Matthew, and, and he had built quite a following. There were lots of uh, miracles that had taken place, and there were people that were going with him wherever he would go. And you know well enough to, uh, the story well enough to know that there were times he had to just get away from them. But here he is coming into Jerusalem in what experts call the triumphal entry. And there are people out there, and he's a rock star. Uh, you know, they're, they're doing like we do on Palm Sunday. They're waving the palm fronds and, and singing Hosanna. And so he's coming into Jerusalem and, and we know that he went and he looked in the temple. He's, he's checking it out. So he gets into Jerusalem and he goes and looks in the temple. And then the scriptures tell us that he got his 12 disciples. They went to Bethany and they spent the night there. And then early on Monday morning, they come back to Jerusalem. On the way back into Jerusalem, Jesus curses a fig tree, this perfectly good big old fig tree just dies right there in front of them and and I would love to have been able to have been a fly on the wall and watch this because I've got a feeling the disciples were pumped up uh, you know they've been in Bethany and they'd had the triumphal entry and man the power watch this fig tree just die 
right there in front of them. Now they're going to go back into Jerusalem, into the temple, and just look around a little bit and, and just be influential like Jesus had been over the last few days and the last few weeks of his life. They walk in to the south side of the temple. It's called the Royal Stoa, and it was huge. This Royal Stoa area had four rows of columns, big, huge columns, and each row, can you imagine this, each row had 40 columns. 40. Four rows, 40 columns. And in that area, in the temple, there were people there who were doing banking. They had tables out. They believed that uh, the temple was a safe place to do banking. So they were there making financial transactions and etc. There were animals all over the place because those animals were used uh, for sacrifices for people in the temple itself. There were birds all over the place because birds were what were primarily offered as a sacrifice to the lower class of people, and that's mostly what you had uh, uh, at that time. But you had people who had come from all over. They had, if you were 20 and you were male, you showed up once a year and you paid temple tax. That temple tax was a half a shekel. Now, you couldn't just use money from anywhere in the country, in the world. The primary form of money in that day was a Roman coin, but Roman coins had Caesar's uh, picture on them. Couldn't use those, couldn't use any coin that had a, a picture of anybody on it, which most of the countries used at that time. So you had to bring your money and you had to trade it to get Tyrian shekels, Tyre of Sidon, that area, because Tyrian shekels didn't have anybody's picture on them. So they had piles of Tyrian shekels. You go in with your Roman money or whatever and you trade it for some of that, and then um, you would go on, if you were a Jewish male, and, and you had no deformities, no physical problems, you would get to go on into the holy place, and then once a year, one person, the high priest, would get to go on into the holy of holies and offer sacrifices. Okay, they're walking in, you see all of this hubbub going on, all of the commercialism and et cetera, banking, uh, sheep. In fact, Josephus said in the year 66, there were 255,000 lambs offered as sacrifices during the Passover festivities. I used to have sheep. I had almost 200 when I sold my farm. 200's a whole lot of sheep, folks. Out on a hillside, sheep all over the place. I can't imagine a quarter of a million sheep. But they went through that many sheep in this little short period of time. It started two weeks prior to Passover. So that's what's going on. The disciples walk in there with Jesus. And he goes nuts. I mean, can you imagine if you were with him, if you were one of those disciples? You haven't seen that side of him before. I mean, you've seen this suffer the little children to come unto me. And, and you know, that's kind of been the way it is. Who's got some fish and some bread? Okay, 
food for everybody. And he goes into the temple. Man, he's taking those bankers' tables, turning them upside down. He's turning the doves loose. The Mishnah, the rabbinic Mishnah, had all kinds of codes on how you had to handle birds. I'm not going to bore you with these, but they were very specific. If a bird got loose and it went so many feet in this distance and then flew back, there were certain things that you had to do in order to meet the code. So here you are, you got these birds flying all over the place, you got animals flying, uh, moving, running all over the place, you got the banker's money turned upside down. He is very upset because. They didn't keep the main thing, the main thing. That's basically the bottom line of what's going on here. The main thing, he says, he says, My house shall be called a house of prayer. And I like to add Mark's phrase, to all the nations. Now, when I think of prayer, if you're like me and the way I thought about it for years, I thought of prayer as a specific act. I'm going to go over here, I'm going to kneel down, and I'm going to have a prayer. And, and if I'm somewhere and somebody says, pray for me, would you lead in a prayer? I would have a prayer. That's prayer, don't get me wrong. But I'm not sure Jesus is talking about those specific instances of prayer. I believe that Jesus is talking about the presence of God, worship. I think we could almost use the word worship here in lieu of the word prayer. I think he's saying the same thing. You see, when man was created, when God created Adam and Eve, there, there there was no egocentricity at that time. There was no self-centricity at time, that time. The focus was on God, our Heavenly Father. And God said that was a purpose for creation, for creating Adam and Eve, that they could live in fellowship with Him. And so their focus, their attention was on the Heavenly Father. But when the fall came, when they sinned, then their attention went... That's when self-centeredness and ego-centeredness came into the world. That's the exact moment when it came into the world. It didn't exist until that moment of the fall. So that every person born after the fall, every person born after the fall is born self-centered, ego-centered. What do little babies learn to say early? Me, mine, it's me, it's mine. That, that's what I'm talking about. But, but uh, it's not just little babies that say that. Most of us think that. Most of us act that way. But prayer and worship is a turning back to God. Turning the attention back to God. And it's not just an event of worship. Stay with me for just a second. It's not just an event of worship. This is an event of worship. This was planned out thought about the bread and the wine was prepared and brought here for us. This is an event. But he's not just talking about an event of worship, that's part of it, but he's talking about a life of worship, a walking in worship, and a walking in prayer. 
the attention going to our Heavenly Father. That will never come natural to you. That will never come natural to you. And what was going on in that uh, hall of the Gentiles there on the south side of the temple, that, that was normal activity, just coming from, from this kind of a mindset. Jesus turned those tables upside down and said, My house will be a house of worship or a house of prayer where the attention is not on us, but the attention is on our Heavenly Father. And I think what got him so hot, what got him so angry, was the fact that in that hall of Gentiles, the people that were in there were Gentiles, many of whom had come for over a hundred miles to be there to worship. It was women, it was slaves, and it was anybody who had some kind of deformity, wasn't a perfect person. So, so that's who you have out in that hall of Gentiles, and that's as close as they could get to the Holy of Holies. And they're there and they want to worship. They want to turn their attention on the Heavenly Father. And Jesus sees that and it kills him and he just gets angry and turns those tables upside down. I'm so thankful that Brookwood Baptist Church is about prayer. And I want our church to be always about prayer and more and more about prayer. Our deacons, I don't know if you know this or not, but when our deacons meet, they always pray. Now, I'm not talking about just having, okay, let's have an opening prayer, amen, go on with business. I'm talking about getting in groups of three or four or five and praying together. And I'm going to tell you this. Some of the most sincere, gut-wrenching prayer I have ever heard in my whole life life has taken place in Brookwood Baptist Church deacons meetings of three or four people together having prayer. And, and that's a focus prayer. They'll, many times they'll have a list and they'll say, this group you pray for this, this group you pray for this. I hope we never stop that. One of the things that makes me really sad as a pastor is this. I hear sometimes when they call people as potential deacons whose names we have and ask them, would you be a deacon? And that person might say, well, the deacons at Brookwood Baptist don't do anything. If the deacons of Brookwood Baptist did nothing but come together and pray, do you know of anything more important for them to do. I hope we never get past that. I'm thankful to God that my time here, that's what we've had every deacon's meeting. Our Wednesday night time, every Wednesday night starts at 6 o'clock with a prayer time. And many times we've had intensive prayer during that time where we've prayed for somebody who was seriously ill. We always pray for those whose name is not on anybody's list they're not on a, they haven't raised their hand in a Sunday school class saying, pray for me, but they have tremendous needs anyway. And lots of times we'll pray by tables. And it's so neat as a pastor here to sit back and listen to that holy hum of people praying at all of those tables. 
You may not know this, but at 8 o'clock every Sunday morning, the staff meets and we have a prayer together. Every Sunday morning, 8 o'clock. We've never not had one since I've been here. We have a prayer together. 8.15, you may not know, our deacons meet back in the bride's room and we have a prayer together. So that before we walk into the service, we've had a prayer or, or a two prayer. We, we understand this scripture verse that says, My house shall be called a house of prayer to all the peoples. It's so easy for people with our personality to want to run out and do something. Jim Barnett calls it fix it mode. Let's fix it. But it's so critically important that if it's a missions effort, whatever it is that we do, that we baptize it in prayer first. And I would invite you to be in prayer as you think about coming and receiving the Lord's Supper this morning. If you're over on, in this section, if you'll come to the wall and around. If you're in this middle section, if you'll come this way and come around. And if you're over in that section, if you'll go to the wall and come around, you can take your uh, bread and your drink back to your seat, have a prayer time there. You can pray and, and then receive that. Before we do that, I want to share with you an old Scottish prayer that I love. We don't come to this table because we can. We come to this table because we may. We don't come to this table because we're strong. We come to this table because we understand our weaknesses. We don't come to this table because we love God a lot. We come to this table because we love God a little and we desperately want to learn to love Him more. Think about that as we come and we receive the Lord's Supper.